This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What's up, everybody? It's a Flames game day edition of Hockey Central here on Sports at 960 The Fan. Haley Salvin here with you for the next hour. Calgary Flames taking on the St. Louis Blues again tonight. That game goes at 6 o'clock. Pre-game at 5 with Pat Steinberg and Peter Lubardius. We're going to tee up that matchup a little bit later on in the show with... Uh, John Kelly, he's the play-by-play voice of the St. Louis Blues. He's going to join us, do a little scouting the enemy, as we typically do on a game day. And Kevin Woodley uh, works with NHL.com, covering the Vancouver Canucks. Also does work within Goalie Magazine. Is going to join us in about 10 minutes. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about goalie trends this season. You know, maybe a little bit. What's going on with Jacob Markstrom? What do we like about Dan Vladar? See if there's any insight that Kevin can give us with the Flames goalie tandem this season. Uh, in the meantime, let's uh, bring in my friend, Logan Gordon. You just heard him on Sportsnet today for the last two hours, and we get a little bit more Logan here on Hockey Central. Logan, what's up? Hey, Hales, how are you? Good, good. Did you get some sleep last night or no? Yeah, I went to bed the last two nights, which was great. <laughs> I decided that that was for the best. I'm on this new kick of trying to, and maybe it was because of the day where I didn't go to sleep. I'm like, I'm going to go to bed early now, and I'm going to wake up early, and I'm going to work out in the mornings, and it's all fine and dandy, but the four o'clock desire to take a nap really hits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I then you're awake really early. So this has been... The update on Haley's sleep schedule here on Hockey Central and Sports <laughs> at 960 The Fan. We do this every day at approximately 2.04. Yeah, and sometimes we do uh, group chat discussions with Pat and try to see how Pat's fitting in with millennials and all those sort of things. So the first first five minutes of the show, you never really know what you're going to get. But that's why you got to tune in for the first five minutes of the show. Because oh, 100%. You never know. You might learn something new. Uh, if I went to bed, uh, if Pat <laughs> is the most boring of the sports at 960 group chat texters, <laughs> you can get insight into the Flames game anywhere else, but the you real can't inside get knowledge. that stuff. Yeah, you can't get this anywhere. No. Just right here in the first five minutes of Hockey Central. But uh, we'll talk about the St. Louis Blues and the Calgary Flames as well. I know you had Alex Ferrario on your show, um, you're going to be there at the game tonight, Logan. I mean, you're always in and around it. What? Uh, It'll surprise you. I'm actually not going to be in St. Louis tonight. Oh, my gosh. I thought it was. Yeah, you're right. Just next you're time. Right. Next time. <laughs> that would have been a fun road trip. I, uh, I feel like I'm really bad at updating my notes. So every time it'll say the Saddle Dome, I have to like really force myself to go in and change it that they're on the road. Like my notes just constantly say the Saddle Dome, which is a pretty bad thing. I need to be better at that. That would have been kind of a fun road trip in terms of like going to Mullet Arena. I know Wes Gilbertson got to Arizona early and was at the Mullet. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty jealous. It seems like that'd be a cool well, and, and, to check out. And ever since they started doing this, you know, two road games in the same place, right? It's like a pretty unique opportunity for 
a lot of guys. And look, maybe St. Louis isn't the top destination in the NHL, right. but I'm sure it beats jumping into an airplane at 3 a.m. and flying off to Dallas immediately, a chance to check out the city and see what's going on there. Um, I'm sure yeah. a lot of those guys appreciate that opportunity, and I'm sure, you know, like Francis and Leslie and those guys that are around Parker that are around the team, I'm sure it's a nice change of pace to uh, to have a road trip that's not immediately jamming into an airplane following a game. Yeah, playoff road trips are the best. Um, like being in Dallas last year in the playoffs, and then, I mean, Edmonton was a little different because the Edmonton drive is just long enough to be kind of annoying but hopping on a longer flight to go to Dallas was totally fine. So you get to go to Dallas and it's somewhere different. You get to be there for a couple of days versus just like driving up and down the highway. Uh, but the Dallas road trip was kind of fun. That was a cool city to kind of explore. Anyways, you're not in St. Louis. The Calgary Flames are in St. Louis to play the Blues tonight. Um, doesn't appear to be any lineup changes for the Flames. Walker Dewar stays in. Jacob Peltier remains out. Lines looked about the same at morning skate per reports from the rink. Only change Dan Vladar is your projected starter, kind of as we expected. Um, from your chat with Alex and just what you've been looking at in terms of this matchup and looking at the last game between these two teams, is there anything that stands out to you, Logan, about what the Flames need to do to get back in the win column? Not just collect a point, not be in and around it. What do the Flames need to do to beat the Blues? Well, I think it's become pretty clear whether you talk to anybody in St. Louis or even listening to Daryl Sutter this morning that this team's got to do a better job adjusting and taking on the Blues' new core going forward, and that starts with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Um, both games this year, they've been a major pain uh, for the Calgary Flames, and that's a big issue. Obviously, they're two top players for St. Louis, but even with the guys injured, you know, in Tarasenko and O'Reilly, I think this is about shutting Thomas and Kairou down now. I don't think it's about the old guard in St. Louis. It's these guys are young, dynamic scorers, and some of the Flames' best players didn't bring their best on Tuesday, especially against that line. And if you're not going to handle them properly, you're going to find yourself you know, probably down in games and maybe even losing it. So that's the biggest thing for me is I think that the Flames have to do a better job uh, of handling those two because they've been at the forefront of the two losses this season. And we're still talking about a St. Louis team that's pretty beat up, especially on the back end. They did a pretty good job for the most part on Tuesday of making life difficult on some of those young defenders and causing some of those turnovers. But you have to do that again tonight, especially another opportunity to see them. You've seen these guys before um, make life difficult on them. There's some inexperience on that blue line that you should be able to take advantage of. I think that if you're the St. Louis Blues or you're Craig Brube or Doug Armstrong, you were pretty happy with the way that the new top line and Pavel Buchnevich, Robert Thomas, and Jordan Kairou are performing. Um, with the absence of Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko, that's kind of been the newly assembled top line. It's not a totally new line for the Blues, but they're like the number one line for this hockey team right now. And, you know, one of the things that they kind of keep an eye on is that chemistry builds with those guys. If you're Armstrong or Berube is if O'Reilly and Tarasenko aren't re-signed, the Buchnevich thomas Kairu trio could be the Blues top line for a few years to come. It's as you said, Logan, right? Like this is the new, this is the new kind of core pieces that teams 
opposing teams need to be worried about when you're looking at the St. Louis Blues right now because of the injuries, but also because of what might happen in terms of the roster construction with this St. Louis team. Uh, that top line sees tougher defensive matchups. You know, they're coming in playing against the Calgary Flames. They're they're not facing the fourth line, right? That's mm -hmm. top line versus backland or top line versus top line, uh, depending on how the St. Louis Blues want to do their matchups. And as we heard from Daryl Sutter, that line kind of beat up on the Flames the other night. That Robert that Robert Thomas line kind of took things over. So they're definitely uh, the group that the Flames need to be more cognizant about in this game. It's obviously easier said than done. But you just got to see more from your veteran forwards and your veteran defenders who you're going to see out against those guys quite often in this game. Yeah, and so much of it too is going to be when the Blues are injured and going through the kind of things that they are, Haley, you know when you've got home ice advantage, they're going to try their best to get whatever matchup they like the best. Uh, whether mm -hmm. that is, do they think they line up better against the Lindholm line? Is it the Kadri line for whatever reason that they think uh, works out better for them. That's one of those things that goes into playing at home for two straight games is Craig Berube gets to play that game uh, to his advantage if he wants to. He did it on Tuesday. He was very uh, aware of what lines the Flames were throwing out, and I think that that's going to be incumbent on whatever line gets matched up with them to be able to shut them down. Absolutely. So I want to talk about one stat that you tweeted out this afternoon um, this is via Sportsnet's Brandon Polak. The Flames have an NHL high tying. 24 blown leads this season. The Flames' 13 losses via a blown lead are tied for second most in the NHL. What do you make of this, Logan? You know what? It's, it's, it's a pretty big stat when you look at it, and it's one that I think... I wondered in the back of my head when I read it, I'm like, you know what? That doesn't actually surprise me all that much. Although, as I, I talked about earlier on my show, too, going back to last year, Haley, I don't know that we gave this Flames team enough credit for their ability to hold on to leads and how good they were in those kind of situations into last year. I think we talked about how good of a team this was with Gaudreau and Lindholm and Kachuk doing their thing on the top line and being able to score, but... Last year, they did a really good job of holding on to those leads, too. And that's a big part of, you know, the success that they had. This year, they've had similar scoring numbers. They're not all that far off of where they were. But the big difference, as you look at that stat, is clearly been their ability to hold on to those leads when it counts. And it doesn't show itself any more than it did on Tuesday when they had a 3-1 lead. And within two minutes... Uh, into the third period, saw it all disappear and saw their entire game sort of change before their eyes. So this is really interesting because I think we can look at this in two different ways in terms of this season with the Calgary Flames. Obviously last year they were way better at holding on to leads. They had better run support. They had better goaltending. And those are the two branches I kind of look at. Sure, we could bring in you know, defensive systems and the way that the blue line's playing. But I think I look at two major pillars of this conversation of blowing leads and not being able to win these one goal games or whatever it may be. You know, sure, there's defensive breakdowns, but the Flames aren't really getting the right kind of goal support. They're not getting that run support. You know, they don't have that extra goal to kind of put it away in them, it seems, some nights. Um, but they're also not always getting that extra save to keep them in it or give them a chance to win. I know there's been some nights 
where the stats for Markstrom or Vladar don't look great, but they've come up in those big moments. Um, but the one thing that I really noticed, and this is something that, you know, when we bring in our guest here, Kevin Woodley, to talk about the goaltending, I remember doing a story on Jacob Markstrom last season and what is behind his like hot start that he had in the first couple months of the season. You know, shutout after shutout, elite play from Markstrom in between the pipes early last year and obviously throughout the season with a couple dips here and there. One of the things that stood out the most to goalie experts that I talked to was how good he was when the game was tied or the Flames are only up one. And Jacob Markstrom, as I recall, was one of, if not the best goalie in those high-pressure situations last season. Like, he would just lock it down last year. If they were up one or if it was tied, like, he would just shut the door and give the Flames every opportunity to get the next goal or to just hold on to the lead. And that's something I don't think we've quite seen in an elite way from Jacob Markstrom this season. Of course, the defensive system's part of it. Of course, the run support's part of it. But I do think that's been a major thing that I've noticed this season when looking at the goaltending picture and kind of comparing stats from this year to last. And and as I talk about this, let's go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and bring in Kevin Woodley. He covers the Canucks now for NHL.com. He's been in this business for over 10 years and does lots of work for In Goal Magazine still plays in that. Did I see beer league hockey, rec league hockey, hockey goalie? Uh, here's Kevin Woodley joining us now. Kevin, welcome to the show. Bad goalie is pretty much how my beer league team puts <laughs> oh. it most nights. So um, bad goalie who sometimes plays over his head, which is why he's coming to you today missing a tooth. So uh, I got a story <laughs> on that. Uh, I learned the hard way. It'll be out uh, NHL.com, my, my biweekly unmasked column tomorrow. Did not realize myself how common this is for goalies to lose teeth. So there's a complete aside. has nothing to do with Jacob Markstrom. How are you today? I mean, I'm doing well. I, I, are you okay? Do you need to go to the dentist? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I'm just uh, out of pocket and look even, I have even more a face for radio than I did before. <laughs> well, welcome to the radio show. I get that all the time too. So don't even worry about it. You're, uh, you're with friends here. Um, I know you use a lot of stats from ClearSight Analytics, and Stephen Valiquette does such a great job. Uh, he's the founder of that company, and I've talked to him in the past about Markstrom and different goalies, and it's one of my favorite resources to dip into to truly understand the goaltending position, because I have never, ever put on pads and stepped in a crease. I would probably be too afraid of a puck coming at me and, you know, knocking out my teeth. And I know you use some stuff from ClearSight and, you know, having this discussion about, you know, somebody like Jacob Markstrom, who last season by most of those metrics was, you know, one of the most clutch goalies, I think we could say in terms of a one goal game or a tie. But I don't think we're seeing that this season. Is that a trend that that you've been able to see when, you know, tracking Jacob Markstrom with the Flames this season? Well, i got to be honest, it's the kind of trend that it would almost be impossible to measure um, without a company like ClearSight, without having mm-hmm. the ability to go under the hood. And I had, I did a bunch of video and I did a bunch of sort of statistical look using ClearSight, um, knowing that we'd be talking today. But I hadn't thought about the, uh, you know, just how good he was in those close games. And as you were introducing me, maybe that's why I went on the uh, rambling preamble. So I give myself a chance to look it up. And you're right, like... <laughs> A lot of uh, his best numbers were when they were down one, tied, 
or up one. Like uh, his goal saved above expected last year, as I quickly do math in my head here, like was almost like 15 in those situations alone. And when I toggle over to this season, um, you know, down one, it's it's minus 1.66. De- tied, it's minus 3.11. Up one, it's minus 3.35. So that's like, you know, he's like almost minus eight, uh, be- sort of eight goals below expected this year, halfway through a season, and he was 15 above last year. So, um, you know, looking at the big picture, there's, there are some trends in his game, uh, both statistically and sort of physically, that might be leading to that, but you're right. Like where it's, where it's hurting them the most, where he has been, you know, not the difference maker that he was last season is in those, in those situations. And it's, uh, it's one of those ones where it's hard to find an answer for it. Like you can look at general pictures, overall trends. You can, you can look at video. Uh, but the one thing it's really hard to do is to look between the ears of a goaltender and see, you know, is there anything changing uh, when mm-hmm. goals are tight, is there tension in his game um, that you can see? It's uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I was looking at at all the video and not sort of isolating it to when the score was tight. But certainly, the results when the score is tight haven't been there this season. That's for sure. Sure. So, so let's get into some of the stuff that you were looking at when you were kind of going through some of the video and some of the numbers. Um, you know, I, I was recently doing this with, um, I was looking at Ilya Samsonov because he's kind of fallen off a cliff lately. And I think when you're looking at goalie numbers or really any kind of statistical model, like things jump out to you pretty quickly if there's a drastic change or something's really in the red. Um, when you're looking through Jacob Markstrom's numbers in his video, was there something that jumped off the page right away for you, Kevin? Well, interesting. It's funny that you mentioned Samsonov because uh, I was on with, in Toronto recently as well, and that was one of the topics. And you know, there's a big a lot of talk about how his numbers had dipped since December 15th. And it, you know, to be honest with you, it was pretty easy to figure out why his expected save percentage dropped by more than 50 points since December 15th. He was playing behind one of the most favorable environments in the NHL up to that point. And then whether it was the team playing poorly in front of him or just getting some tougher starts or getting in in some tougher situations in terms of back-to-backs and opponents, um, the bottom fell out of it. So, of course, his numbers are going to come down. Uh, with, with, with Jacob, expected save percentage this year compared to last year, like it's down six points. Not, like, not insignificant, but the bottom hasn't dropped out on him. And his performance relative to it, like last year he was one of the best in the league. He was plus 1.5%. He was full value for the Vesna conversation that he was in. Um, this year, minus 1.1% adjusted save percentage. That's 63rd out of 82 goalies so far in the NHL this season and not what you've come to expect. And when you drill down on some of the numbers, areas he's getting hurt the most, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of broken plays. Um, so pucks that are sort of put on net or hit a body or hit a stick or hit a leg. Uh, you, you hear a lot about rebound control. Um, the reality for goaltenders is, is whether they put it where they want to or not, when a puck hits them and they make the initial save, uh, it's a lot easier to make the second save because they felt it. They hope they controlled it, but they at least know where it's headed for the most part when it hits them. It's the pucks that hit bodies in front of you, and usually that means there's a body between you and the shooter, so chances are you don't see it cleanly, and then bounce in different directions, which creates some of the most difficult scoring chances to contain. And that's where he's really struggled compared to last year, like well into the red in terms of negative numbers. The other one that that jumps off the page is screens are down this year, the way he's managing them. And it's interesting. I think they tried to quiet his game there 
when he came from Vancouver, he's always been a fairly active goaltender. Uh, happy feet was a term that was thrown around even when he was here. Uh, but he developed, and this is sort of a product in Vancouver of, of Ian Clark's um, teachings and system. The goalie coach here, a, a three-stance system where you start sort of you know, narrower and higher in your stance when the play is up in the zone. And then as you move down into lower plays, you will adjust into a lower, more sort of getting closer and closer to a safe stance. And it can look pretty busy. And I think they wanted to take that out of his game a little bit and get him into sort of a middle stance sooner and closer to a safe execution stance earlier in plays. And, uh, you know, obviously worked last year. Um, he was, he looked quieter and he had a heck of a season. Uh, but there's times this year where I feel like it's, it is causing him issues on some of these screens. Uh, I find that he's sitting down into his stance and um, sort of a lot of movement. Uh, and you see this uh, in his high slot line play. So lateral plays across the center of the ice, but higher in the zone. Um, again, the numbers there, not great. Low slot line plays in tight. He's been excellent, which isn't surprising. He's still, he's still explosive. He still moves really well laterally, and he's such a big body that if plays are in tight, it's hard to get. Like, there's not a real estate. If he can get across, he takes up a ton of net, and so you don't have a lot of room to sort of beat him. Higher in the zone, which are actually traditionally less dangerous plays, uh, is where he's really struggled. And when you see in that movement, rather than sort of transitioning and sort of moving down into plays um, sort of biomechanically in terms of initiating the movement with the head and rotating, uh, he's, he's in this lower stance earlier, and there's a lot more open and close to those movements. And that's something where I see him not beating plays set and square like he used to. Um, when he's getting there, it looks like he's sort of sitting down in his stance uh, when he arrives sort of butt dropping does a good job of keeping his chest up but the butt sort of drops and what happens on those plays as soon as you get into that type of a setup you have a tendency when you drop to the ice for your upper body and your lower body to have to sort of separate so you drive your knees and your chest pulls back and it's really hard to track pucks clean through that type of motion and uh, it's something that was in Jacob's game before he arrived in Vancouver there was there was you know I didn't think his puck tracking tracking was excellent um, I don't know that it was even a focus here, frankly, in Vancouver, but some of the different stance executions sort of put him in positions where it came more naturally. Uh, I see more times now where uh, when he arrives, he, like I said, not set, not square, weight on the heels, butt drops, and everything sort of pulls off pucks. And so instead of feeling like pucks are coming at you, and he's such a big goaltender, most of them are, um, you see a lot of turning on low shots off to the side instead of, instead of sort of, uh, cutting them off out in front of you with the hands, tendency to sort of turn the upper body and try and make saves beside you, um, which, again, just, just not an optimal way to sort of move and track pucks and, and stop pucks, frankly. So um, last one I'd say is is for as much as they wanted to quiet his game down, maybe by going to that, um, you know, less, less different stances in his movement, um, when you watch him when he struggled this year, there's a lot of in and out. Like there's a lot of retreat right before the release. Again, not perfectly set, um, sort of sinking back in the net. And again, what that does is it puts weight on the heels, drops the butt, and changes sort of some of the mechanics of, of how you make a save. And it's interesting because I actually had another goalie coach from another team reach out around mid-December and be like, wow, what did they do to Jacob? He looks great right now. And there were some games where 
you know, you can see uh, he stays higher in his thighs, doesn't drop that butt, keeps that chest up. And, and it just it sort of feels everything in terms of his movements and being set. And when it doesn't happen, it's like two different goaltenders. And, you know, I watched some footage from around that time, uh, and the coach was right. He looked great. And then it was almost actually the Vancouver game there. At the start, it looked, it looked like that guy. And as the game went on uh, and some goals went in, he seemed to revert back to form. And it, there just seems to be a, an inconsistency in terms of some of the mechanics of his movement that is leading to some inconsistency in performance as well. Right. And it's also interesting because I think what the goalie coach said and, and what you looked at is it really kind of has been a story of two different goalies this season when it comes to Jacob Markstrom. Because we'll get these moments where you say, yeah, that's the guy. That's the Vesna runner-up from last season. But then you also get some games or some pockets in games where you're wondering, like, okay, this isn't this isn't that same guy. And it's kind of a tricky thing to to wonder why that's happening because again we can look at all the numbers as you said but you don't know what's going on in someone's mind and how they're feeling and Jacob just seems like a a goalie who is lacking confidence right now he had the quote you know I'm not good at hockey right now and he told my colleague at the athletic Julian McKenzie his confidence is pretty much in the same spot as it was that day as well how hard is it for a goalie to you know, get out of that mindset. And, you know, it's, it's such a difficult question. I apologize. But like, I feel like that lack of confidence is almost the harder thing to try to solve versus something within like a goalie mechanics. Well, I guess it all depends where you get the confidence from, right? Um, you know, I remember Roberto Luongo when it sagged for him, he got that confidence from practice and certain drills and certain movement drills, and rebound drills that sort of reset um, reset his mind, made him feel good about his game. Um, but then when you talk to the goalie coach, you know, the, the foundation of them were to reset some of the mechanics. Like Roberto may not have been thinking about mechanics, but when he did these certain drills, these certain movements, they got him back to the foundation movement-wise um, that the goalie coach liked in his game. And Roberto, while not needing to be cognizant of it, just felt better when he was doing these drills and, and used a lot of extra work and practice and a focus on certain types of movement and drills to sort of reestablish that good feeling, that, you know, that good vibe, that good mojo, that in the zone that goalies talk about. Um, so I guess the, the biggest thing is sort of, you know, everybody being on the same page in terms of knowing what it is that creates those moments, create that success. Um, me being me looking at it on video and seeing certain trends may have nothing to do with how, how it manifests in Jacob Markstrom's mind, how he feels when he's moving. Uh, like I said, a lot of the habits I see are, are habits that have been there all along. Um, but early eyes and, and the sheer size of the man allowed him to beat plays and be set and get hit even when things weren't going well. And I think right now, you know, I see mechanics that um, – you know, make it a little harder to do that, make it harder to beat plays, make it harder to get ahead of lateral stuff um, so that you use your size to your advantage, make it harder to track pucks uh, even on clean looks. And so, but that said, it that, you know, like Jacob may not think of things that way. And so you don't want a goalie out there overthinking either because that, that'll kill confidence as fast as anything. So it's about coaches being on this, uh, being able to sort of, find drills and find ways to get him feeling that confidence moving if that's what they are trying to do and i'm not sure like they may 
he may be moving exactly how they want him to move, and it could all just be confidence between the years. Give him two or three good starts in a row, and he could move exactly as the way I'm describing right now and pitch three shutouts in a row. Um, that's sort of the hard part of goaltending, especially from an outsider looking in. We don't really know where that confidence comes from. And I, to be frank with you, I haven't talked to Jake since he left Vancouver with pandemic and everything like that. So I see right. the changes. I see some of the things that I, you know, I'm aware of some of the things they, that they wanted to focus on last year and obviously did so successfully. Um, but everything else is sort of bird's eye view from a distance. Not seeing the work they do every day in practice to sort of get a feel for what they're trying to accomplish. And, you know, I don't say whether he's buying in, but whether it's working in terms of making him feel better, it's really hard to do this from a distance. Sure. I, yeah, I think when you think of Jacob Markstrom last season, he was very calm in his crease, and you just always felt like pucks were hitting him. Because he's got that size, he's six foot six. He's one of, if not the biggest goalie in the league right now. But he was also, you know, tracking well, and he was always in the right spots. So it's really hard to find those holes when you've got a six foot six goalie who read the play and made the right move post to post, or he was at the top of the crease, wherever it may be. He was really hard to beat last year because of that. And I think it's interesting to contrast that to. You know, and even when he was maybe off in those movements or off in that tracking, um, it was okay because he's big enough to get there. And, you know, it, it's fine because it's just going to hit him anyway, even if he's a little bit late. And to contrast it to someone like UC Soros, who was just on a complete hot streak, they lose the game last night to Toronto. But, you know, he made 105 saves in his previous two starts, 67 save performance against the Carolina Hurricanes. And, and he's one of the smallest goalies in the league, but because of that, he's just so technically sound and he has to track and everything has to be perfect. And UC Saros has kind of been the, you know, prototype or the example for one of the other Flames goalies, and that's Dustin Wolf. It's like, if you're going to be a small goalie that's going to have success in the NHL. You've got to be pretty perfect in the way that you read, plays, track the puck, and move within your net. Well, and I think, uh, I mean, and... and... Wolfie's a guy who I know pretty well going back to junior and know his game really well, right back to the coaches he worked with as a young kid. Um, and so, you know, have a, have a good sort of background in, in some of the foundations that have allowed him to have this success. And, you know, I think in both uh, Dustin Wolf and, and UC Saros, we see, you know, there's power and there's speed and there's explosiveness. And Jacob has all those things as well. Like Jacob has those things for the size of him at an absolutely remarkable level. Um, the difference that I see right now, and this is a lot easier for a smaller goalie to sort of control their body than a bigger goalie. And this is where it becomes an interesting argument because, um, you know, I've had, had goalie coaches say to me, yeah, as much as there are teams that won't even look at a goalie the size of a Saros, and we saw how late Dustin Wolf fell to the draft to, in the draft despite all the success he had, you know, in Everett, posting numbers that were Carter Hart-like, um, and in some cases even better, and then almost not even getting drafted. Like, there's an ideal size for a goaltender. It might be 6'2", maybe 6'3". But on either side of that equation, you have to overcome something. If you're a small goaltender, you have to overcome the fact that you don't fill as much net. If you're a big goaltender, you have to overcome the fact that when you move east-west in a game where the attacks have become increasingly dynamic side to side, you open bigger holes. You have to open and close more to arrive, to get set, to get square. And so um, it's not like Jacob lacks any power or any speed or any athleticism to get side to side. He's off the charts 
in all of those categories. Um, it's more the efficiency with which the other two do it. And again, easier to do in a smaller frame to control that than it is a bigger frame. But as I said, when I look through the video, like I see more inefficiencies in those movements right now and more inconsistency in those movements right now in Jacob than I did last year. And I see just more extra movement. Um, even when he's moving shorter distances because he's playing a little deeper because he doesn't need to be at the top of his crease like UC does. Um, still shorter distances, getting there fast, but not getting there set, not getting there square, uh, not getting there in a good setup. Uh, we talked about sitting down a little bit uh, and, and what that does to all your movements after that. Like, so there, there are some elements there that I don't even, and I'm not trying to say they're wrong because there have been times where they look great. There's just inconsistency in those movements. And I think at the end of the day, as complicated as people like me can make goaltending sound, at its simplest, it's about getting to your spot set and square and in a good setup. And Jacob's getting there, but not always set, not always square, not always in a good setup. And I think that bleeds into other elements, especially um, you know, as the game gets more dynamic, as the chances of you getting across on one play, um, you know, it's higher now that you've got to do it again the other way in another play because the game's gotten more dynamic. And so every time you add an inefficiency in each route, you have to make that up with each new push. And so there are times where, you know, he doesn't look as ahead of it as he was a couple of years ago um, or even as, as he was last season. So it's, um, you know, it's interesting. Again, it's really easy to talk about all these things and see them on video and pretend like you know the answers. I don't have the answers. Uh, <laughs> I believe highly in the staff that they have there, both Jason LaBarbera, who, who is you know, fully versed in all these movement dynamics, um, you know, and, 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 and also um, uh, Siggy, uh, Jordan Sigalat. So it, it, being able to see it and being able to sort of get the goalie to feel it and execute it on a, on a game-by-game basis, these are, these are two, two totally different things. So the other thing is, like, honestly, um, he's in the Pacific Division. Dan Bladar and Logan Thompson, and ironically, Philip Grubauer, are the only goalies, the only goalies in the entire division that are performing above expected right now, above an expected save percentage. Actually, I should say Colin Delia too, but both in Delia and Grubauer's case, Delia is a tiny sample, and Grubauer's just got such a low expected save percentage um, that it's almost hard not to outperform that. That's really interesting. You know, we have a couple more minutes before we have to head to break. You know, you mentioned Dan Vladar, who's performing above expected. He's projected to be the starter tonight in St. Louis for the Calgary Flames. Uh, really quickly, is there anything you can share on your thoughts on Dan Vladar this season? I'm going to be honest with you. I dug more into Jacob and really spent a lot of time looking at the video. So the one thing sure. I don't like to do is... Um, you know, frankly, talk out of my ass on these things. So, uh, you know, I can look I appreciate that. Like, Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm not going to make it up. I mean, Vladar, I mean, you know what I would say about Vladar? He sort of tracks the night's history, and this is why I love the move for them to put Jordan Sigley in, in, in charge of a goaltending department there in Calgary. Um, man, like, what a track record of finding guys. 
um, you know, and, and finding guys that maybe other people don't think have the ceiling that he sees there. And I would throw David Riddick in that in that group as well, because as much as it didn't end the way everybody wanted there, I mean, this is a guy that nobody even had on their radar, and he's still in the National Hockey League and gave them some really good minutes. Um, you know, look at Dustin Wolf and where he slid to the draft. I mean, there's just a really good ability to identify talent there, and he seems to have done the same thing here with Fladar. Um, Not exceptionally expected, like it's not a huge margin, but at plus 7%, um, you know, Bladar's, you know, flirting with, if you were to filter out sort of guys that, uh, you know, maybe under 200 shots, like he's, he's easily in the top 20 uh, in the National Hockey League right now. And like I said, especially considering in the Pacific Division, there aren't many goalies that are above expected at all. Um, only a couple to be one of them. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's a feather in his cap and a feather in their cap. When I look at you know, sort of his, you know, his profile and, and where he's had most of his success, like it's, it's a really balanced, uh, it's a really good balance. Um, screens are an issue there. And anytime you see screens as an issue for both goaltenders, you wonder how much of that's execution. Um, you know, as much as, as screens are thought of as goalies managing and finding the puck, quite often it's about players being in the right lane and not taking their goalies' eyes and, and both sides being on the same page in that equation. So the fact both of them have notably negative numbers makes me wonder if there's something in the water or in terms of guys or the way guys are playing it in front of them. Um, you know, uh, slot area, low slot line passes, slightly below expected, but everything else is above. So uh, it's, you know, just a really well-balanced you know, it's it's not sexy, um, but when I look at his when I look at his numbers, there's a steadiness there, a real steadiness. And you know, I think for a team that prides itself on defending, um, that's kind of that that may be all you're probably looking for um, for for a guy who was supposed to be your backup goaltender coming into this year, and 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 has exceeded that by performance um, so far. Amazing. Well, nothing wrong with being steady if you're Dan Vladar. Having him in the in the crease tonight against St. Louis is a great thing and great stuff. Thank you so much, Kevin. Yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. And uh, expect lots of. I, the Blues are another team that if I could one more like the narrative surrounding them since they um, since they won the Stanley Cup was sort of that they were this good defensive team, uh, and and I think at times uh, Jordan Bennington has borne the brunt of uh, that not being true. I talk about expected save percentages once again for I think the third straight year Jordan Bennington has one of the lowest expected save percentages in the National Hockey League he's outperforming at about the, to the same degree Vladar is in Calgary um, man that narrative in, in St. Louis is, is dead they have not been a good defensive team since they won the cup and they lean way too heavily on goaltenders so there's an opportunity if the Flames are looking to get their offense on track uh, St. Louis is usually a pretty good place to do it Great stuff. Thank you so much for the time. We'll have to do this again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. There goes Kevin Woodley on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. That conversation brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Come on in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza 403-248-33. 44. We got a little bit there from Kevin at the end about the St. Louis Blues being leaky defensively. Jordan Bennington kind of cleaning it up. It's going to be uh, Thomas Grice in net tonight, it looks like, for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, we'll scout the enemy a little bit more coming up next on Hockey Central 960 with John Kelly, the play-by-play voice of the St. Louis Blues. 
You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, welcome back to the program. Ran very long with Kevin Woodley there, but that was a radio host's dream. Am I right, Logan? Oh, 100%. Detailed, informative. Kevin's the best. Just, you know, ask one question, mute the mic, and let him go. I, I love having people who are actually experts in the goalie position because so often, whether it's radio or we're writing a story or whatever it may be with goalies and specifically goalie prospects, it just always feels like voodoo. You know, if you didn't play goalie or uh, what, I don't know. It's never something that I ever feel like an expert on. But I feel smarter after listening to Kevin talk about everything that he kind of took away from some of the clear sight data on Jacob Markstrom, Dan Vladar, and, and even a little bit of a look at Dustin Wolf. What did you make of the end there, talking about the St. Louis Blues being leaky defensively and the Flames have an opportunity to get their offense back on track? I think well, they, had, they had two chances against the Blues this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's accurate. I think especially given the state of where some of you know look, they've dealt with a lot of injuries this year. A lot of the grid players that you think of when you think of this Blues team defensively aren't in the lineup right now and. Look, Thomas Greish is a, uh, I think he's a good NHL backup goaltender, but he's, you know, talking about a goals against average that's over three hills. That's not, um, that's not anywhere near the best in the league. You have an opportunity to get some offense going and take advantage of that. And I think at times they did that on Tuesday, but just not enough of it when they really needed it, which wound up being the third period in overtime. Yeah, and, and I should mention, you know, off the top, we were planning to have John Kelly, the play-by-play voice, the St. Louis Blues on the show. Uh, we could not make contact with John, so it's uh, Haley and Logo here with you for the next make five sure minutes. Make sure you can check and... John out on Twitter, I think, and maybe <laughs> yeah. get a heads up on what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, some of, maybe some of us can, some of us can't, maybe. I don't know if that's... <laughs> who that applies to, but yeah. We're not talking about this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. What are you saying? <laughs> so uh, you had a great tweet, and this is something that you and I were going to talk about here. Um, Jacob Peltier, not in the lineup again. Walker Dewar projected to be in again in that fourth line role. We know Daryl Sutter likes his role player type guys, and, and Walker Dewar certainly fits the mold of what Daryl would be looking for on the fourth line he's big he's physical he's got a shot he can skate walker dewar is kind of the the younger potentially upgrade on brett ritchie on that fourth line but jacob peltier he's called up not in the lineup once again kind of similar to matthew phillips getting called up doesn't get in the lineup and when he does it's a very small opportunity we've seen this in the past with young prospects it's a tricky situation because I think there's some people who just want to see Jacob Peltier being given, you know, a top six or middle six role. Um, but at the same time, who are you pulling out of the lineup? I mean, Milan Lucic seems like the obvious one, but that line's actually producing right now. And you don't want to break up the third line. So it's a little tricky. Like, who comes out for Jacob Peltier? How do you feel about this, Logo? Yeah, it's a tough one for me. I, I do think that, you know, the biggest point for me is... 
I, I just don't want to see these call-ups come up and, and sit for a week, and that's where we're at with Jacob Pelche. He's not expected to play tonight, and the next time that he might get in would be Saturday. That's a, a, that's a whole week in between his call-up from the Wranglers and being with the Flames that he hasn't played. Do I think there's a good chance that he gets in against Dallas even? To be honest, I don't. Dallas is currently tied for top spot in the Western Conference right now. That's a tough matchup on a Saturday afternoon uh, to suddenly throw a guy into his first NHL game. But mm-hmm. by the same accord, and I know Pat's on this train too, and I'm, I'm there, I just, for me, it seems a bit much, as good as Pelche's been at the AHL level, to give him that spot in a top six role for night one in the NHL. I, I would like to see, and, and maybe it's an old-fashioned way of looking at it, I like the idea of a player coming into a lineup and earning more ice time as they go. And that's not to say that Jacob couldn't earn or couldn't be in that that, that spot that Milan Lucic is in. I just think that you've earned the, the call-up. That's what happens with your work at the AHL level. The next step of that is earning your your spot in the lineup, wherever that is in the NHL lineup, whether that's the fourth-line spot whether it's a top six spot, I think that there's another... Like, I just don't think that your call-up precedes you having to put more work into the NHL level, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think what you, as you said, what you don't want to see is your prospects just kind of sitting in the press box. Like, it's best for their development to be playing games. Um, But also, I can understand why getting Jacob Pelte up, getting some practices under his belt, maybe watching a bird's-eye view of what the Flames are doing at the NHL level, that could be helpful too. Um, But what you don't want is a situation where he's sitting up there, not playing with the Wranglers, and not really you know, moving forward in his development. Um, Again, we'll see what happens with the Dallas game on Saturday. Part of me wonders if... You know, the St. Louis Blues aren't a great team for him to go up against. I know they've got some injuries, and we talk about, you know, how much is off off their roster right now, but that's still a pretty tough team to play against. They, they make you work. Um, typically, games against the Blues are hard fought. Um, they're physical. That's a team that's pretty stingy on the forecheck, so maybe that's an element too. Um, but, yeah, the Dallas Stars don't exactly provide a better option um, other than Jacob Peltier. Uh, and Walker Dewar, not a whole lot to really get into with the lineup that we haven't talked about over the last couple days. Only other mention here with the lines in the lineup for tonight against the Blues is it's uh, projected to be Dan Vladar over Jacob Markstrom in the crease. And we had all that good stuff from Kevin Woodley on Vladar and on Markstrom. You can catch that if you missed that conversation on demand, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. That's Hockey Central 960 on your favorite podcast catcher. That's all the time we have for today. Again, it's a Flames game day, Calgary in St. Louis to play the Blues. Puck drop at 6 o'clock, pregame at 5. That's with Pat Steinberg and Peter Labardius. And we'll be back tomorrow on Hockey Central on Sports at 960 The Fan.